And welcome to an Inform Life Radio on 1150 AM KKNW and CHD TV. I'm your host, Bernadette Pager. I apologize that I'm not. I, I'm live, but you can't see me. I just got a picture that's kind of blinking there on the screen because my computer at the last minute decided it was just going to. Um, kind of maybe take a little vacation, so uh, I'm. But we pulled we pulled it out at the last minute, and here I am. So glad to be with you all today. Uh, I hope anybody listening uh, down in Florida is is doing well, and you're able to uh, you're in a safe place, and that your loved ones are safe. It's pretty crazy down there. So uh, love and prayers to people to the south and in South Carolina. I guess it's hitting pretty hard too. So know you're in our in our prayers and hopes that you get through it okay. Um, we've got today, we've got my co-host here, Javier Figueroa, coming to us from the great state of Idaho. Are you in Washington State right now, Javier? No, I'm, I'm in Idaho right now and yeah. enjoying the, the sunshine and the pleasant weather, uh, fortunately. That's good. That's good. Yeah, we here in East Tennessee, we've we've got some cloud cover and we're actually hoping we catch a little bit of the rain to fill up our rain catchment system, but we're not expected to get any of the bad storms. So, um, yeah, and then uh, I'm a little discombobulated because all of my notes were all set on the computer that crashed. <laughs> oh, no. Ah, so you see how that goes. But Javier, we've got a great show lined up today. We've we've got two hours of um, two great people that are working on real healing. You know, this this revolution that we're in is really moving toward a real system of healing, and we need a whole new approach to health and healing. And as you and I have discussed before. We've got this massive problem of the entire medical system has been captured by it's an industry now. It's a for-profit industry. And unfortunately, corporations and industry don't see human beings as valuable mm -hmm. life forms. We're pretty yeah. much just walk and talk in cash machines. Um, they probably like it if we don't walk or talk, they just get the cash out of us. <laughs> That's difficult to overturn, but, you know, silver lining of COVID is a lot of those problems, the systemic problems that that are everywhere are just being made visible. Exactly. And our, yeah, and our guests today, there's a couple things in the news I want to talk about when our guest comes on, if we get her introduced that are important, that are a little bit squirrels, but I think they need to be talked about. Um, but but let's just get started. Our first guest is all about functional medicine. Uh, she is a nurse, um, Nurse Melissa, and I'm going to bring her on and let her pronounce for us um, her last name. She's been on before, but I always mess up. Is it Schreibfeder? You said it perfectly. Oh, my goodness. Yay. <laughs> Good job. And I like your picture, by the way. 
Oh, thank you. Yeah, meet that a long time ago. It, it's uh, it's been a long haul these past couple of years. So, Melissa, have you met Dr. Javier, otherwise known as Dr. X? I think we interviewed once. Yes, yes. So we did the interview a couple of months ago. So we met then. It's nice to see you again. And thank mm-hmm. you guys for having me on again. I appreciate it. Well, we're really excited to have you back. When I first met you, I mean, the, I ju- you just see the progress that has been made. You and Kimberly Overton with the Nurse Freedom Network. And then all over the United States, I hope somebody is keeping track of these great doctor and nurse organizations that are creating themselves. It's so exciting. Um, Tell our listeners and viewers, if you would, um, a little bit about yourself, how you came to be here today. Yes, absolutely. So I um, am a, a registered nurse. I'm a functional medicine practitioner, and I'm also a board certified nurse coach. And I entered into these uh, holistic modalities of medicine because I myself, as a patient going through this system with chronic illness, I was burned very badly by the conventional medical model. So I was kind of um awoken early to the corruption before everything happened with COVID, which I completely agree with you here, is that like there's such a huge silver lining with COVID because so many people that were not awake to the level of corruption and our medical system now are awake because it is so blatantly obvious. But um, for me, for, you know, probably half of my life had just random health issues, random symptoms. Um, I really wish this was a joke when I say this, but I went to 20 conventional doctors and ended up going to around 20 functional providers. Um, And I, you know, kind of had issues on both sides of it because with functional medicine, it was just the, you know, because of the confines of insurance, their hands are kind of tied. So they don't have enough time to spend with you. They're not trained in lifestyle and nutrition. And then a lot of the medicine that they're practicing is outdated and influenced by industry. So by the time I finally got diagnosed with, you know, thyroid and autoimmune and Lyme, it had done so much damage to my body that I was really, really sick. And when I entered functional medicine, which I am a huge believer that functional medicine is um, the future of medicine. And there are some amazing functional docs out there and other practitioners. But in this field, we also just kind of have to make sure that we um, steer away from financial, uh, financially incentivized medicine, because even in functional medicine, this can be a problem where, you know, with conventional, it's like here, okay, you've got a problem, take this medication. Sometimes in functional, it's you've got a problem, we'll take these 20 supplements, you know, so we want to be able to have a good, healthy balance where we're really teaching um, people how to heal the body from the inside out and teaching them about healthy lifestyle factors, Mm -hmm. you know, stress sleep, nutrition, all of these wonderful things and not just relying on dependency of um, supplements and things like that. So I'm pretty much out of my um, frustration, you know, going to the model as a patient. um, It really was like a God thing for me to tie this practice together because I just felt like even in the functional world, you, you see a great doctor, but then 
you don't see them again for maybe four months. And then these patients in between, they're like, okay, I was told to do all of these things, but how do I, how do I do it? So, and that's kind of where as nurses, we can really fill in these gaps because, you know, I review all of the lab work. I can order um, any lab a physician can order. I'm just not writing prescriptions. I'm not diagnosing or anything like that, but I'm able to catch things that maybe the doctor missed, or I can, you know, kind of help identify imbalances in the body and then work on very, you know, personalized plans to help people get the body back into homeostasis. Um, and it's, um, it's really, um, it, it's really amazing. And then also, you know, being a nurse, we're kind of used to being that last line to the patient and being the advocate. So um, I also can provide the coaching because that's another part that is a missing piece sometimes with functional medicine is like, you know, they have all this time before they see the doctor again. And with nurses, um, like with the clients that I sign, um, they have unlimited access to me in between sessions. So if they have any questions or they're having difficulty with lifestyle interventions, I'm there to support them. And, um, you know, recently I've had um, so many nurses that have just been, um, you know, it's kind of like our profession has been in shambles. There's a lot of nurses that are no longer comfortable working in this system because now they're awake to how corrupt it is and they want to still serve the patient population. So I've had a lot of nurses reaching out to me just, you know, wanting to learn more about what I do and how to get trained to do what I do. So I've started a um, training program for nurses. It's called uh, Functional Medicine uh, for nurses. And um, I'm going to be starting a cohort this October. And I'm starting another one in January with the mission to um, basically transform healthcare one nurse at a time. But the, the, the mission really is to, um, you know, get these nurses trained in these holistic modalities that were not taught in nursing school and be able to combine this, um, the uh, foundations of functional medicine with our clinical assessment tools and our diagnostic tools to help improve patient outcomes. You, my goodness, I found somebody who talks faster than me. I love it. Um, <laughs> so much. I've been taking notes on so many of the wonderful things that you have said. I'm going to back up a little bit. Something that's really important has been known for a long time. and It's very problematic. It can take 17 years for a medical health discovery to find its way from the discovery research stage into everyday practice. That's the entire childhood, somebody's entire childhood. So let's say, and this lets us squirrel a little bit into something in the news. And um, I can't share screen because of um, I'm, I'm on this other computer, but maybe Javier, if you've got it, um, there, the CDC of all people, the CDC scientists have a pre-print publication that looking at the VSD data, which is vaccine safe safety data that only they have access to. They don't give access to this to independent. And we've been begging for it to let independent researchers look at it. But anyway, they did a study looking at the exposure to aluminum adjuvants and asthma. And they found a massive correlation between asthma adjuvants and asthma. Basically, the more 
aluminum you get in childhood, the higher your risk of asthma. And it's huge. And um, I'll, I'll pull up here in a minute on my computer things I can read off and, and maybe we can figure out a way to tell more. But the thing is, of course, individuals on our side, the researchers, the scientists, and everybody have been saying this for a long time. And how do you make a mouse allergic? Well, in a lab, you're going to give them an aluminum adjuvant to start with. I mean, you know, we know how to create allergies and asthma in the lab using aluminum. And, and it's, anyway, so they're just now admitting this. And Can you it, see the, the screen that I'm sharing? Um, it's not showing up as screen share yet. Oh, there it comes. Very good. Thank you. Yeah. So that's Dr. James Lines Weiler's um, post on popular rationalism about this. It's a Substack post, popular rationalism. Go to it. It's um, he's got a. It's called the CDC. Can you read that for me? It's too small. Of course. CDC's mea culpa aluminum study finds 19 to 26% increase in risk of persistent asthma per 1,000 milligram injected vaccine de derived aluminum. That's massive. And if you go read it, you look to see what children were excluded from this study and, and what it means. And it's actually even higher when you look at um, you, when you look at the, how much aluminum you keep adding it, the risk keeps going higher and higher. But this whole fact that if it's going to take 17 years for this, and I don't think it will, but 17 years for this particular thing to become into practice, for, for the research knowledge to grow, that will mean an entire generation of children will be made asthmatic, which is a lifetime, sometimes life-threatening chronic illness um, by exposure to the aluminum adjuvants, all to avoid infections that last about a week and then provide you with long-term, if not lifetime immunity. So trading a short-term illness for a lifetime chronic thing, but it's going to take, normally it would take decades mm -hmm. or almost two decades for this to be incorporated if there was political and industry will for it to be incorporated. And that's huge too, because if you're making a lot of money on something that damages, you work very hard to suppress it and you slow things down by throwing in bad studies. My concern with this and why I bring it up and, and veering a little bit from your talk of the wonderful functional medicine is because I fear the reason why the CDC's tongue has been untied and why they are being allowed to be critical of something that we've been shouting from the rooftops about the aluminum adjuvants causing all sorts of autoimmune neurological damage is because they want to move to the mRNA platform for all vaccines. Bingo. And we've seen this in the past when something new is on the horizon, suddenly the moratorium is lifted on being critical. So I don't think it's going to take 17 years. I don't know. We're, we're really in this very scary time. We, it's, it's fantastic. They're admitting the aluminum has increased asthma. Um, but we have got to work really hard on, on legislation um, to protect children now from the aluminum, which they are beginning to admit, and then from the mRNA. We just have to make that choice completely the parent. So thank you for allowing me to squirrel on that. But that's what you triggered in me. See the, the, the long delay. And then the, the other thing 
Um, any questions about that before I go on, Javier? Any remarks you wanted to make about that study? Nothing that, you know, like you said, the CDC is, the tongue's been loosened because they want to move away from the traditional platform over to the mRNA platform. And a lot of parents right now and a lot of people are, have basically lost faith in the CDC. So the, the only other option they have is to apply more fear, which is probably going to be another pandemic or another medical scare that they're going to yeah. push to get reluctant people onto the mRNA DNA vaccine platforms. And, you know, when will they admit how, and those are so damaging that the people are aware of them though. It's, it's like they put this game in play and despite the fact that the game is absolutely falling apart, they don't know how to stop it. Oh, they can't. They can't stop it or something. Yeah. They, they, they can't stop it. It would be admitting fault. And then at this point is uh, maybe we'll get lucky. I mean, that's the thinking right now. Or the fact that we've got so much institutional support, we've already got so many systems in place that are going to ride on top of it, that it will force the hand economically and socially of the remaining people that are on the fence and tip everything over. Oh, yeah. Well, we're, we're going to win and we're going to need yep. individuals like the wonderful nurse Melissa training an army of people who really know about real healing and about functional medicine, yes. about where healing comes from. So the other thing you mentioned, Melissa, was on your own personal journey, you had to heal not only from the illnesses that you were trying to overcome, you had to heal from the drugs that were being given to you. Is that what I heard you say? Oh, from, from the damage, because I went around, <clears throat> I went along for so long without any recognition um, mm. that there was something wrong with my body. So by the time that I got diagnosed, this is how sick I was. My hair was falling out. I was gaining about a pound a day, which thankfully has resolved. Right. Um, but I also, um, so I have Hashimoto's disease, which is the autoimmune condition that attacks your thyroid. I had symptoms for so long. No one would check me for thyroid antibodies, which by the way, if you order that test, out-of-pocket wholesale cost about $14. Instead, they were like, well, let's do CT scans and MRIs. They did all of these very expensive invasive procedures and when they really just needed to order a complete thyroid panel for me because, you know, for an example, for, for years, my thyroid labs, and, and again, um, whenever I do lab reviews with my clients, I tell them, I'm like, okay, when we look at this reference range, I want you to think in your head, really dumb range, because those ranges are not what we need for optimal health and things like thyroid, those ranges are so inaccurate that it's leading to the misdiagnosis of about about 50% of the population struggling with thyroid function. But something with the thyroid, it's such an integral part of the body um, <clears throat> that when that is off, um, that is going to damage your lipid metabolism. You're going to see things like um, your cholesterol starting to trend up. It's also going to damage your metabolic health, and it's going to cause all these blood sugar imbalances, and then it's going to cause other imbalances within your within your sex hormones. And it's something that is so common, um, but it is like in the conventional model, it is basically like pulling teeth to be able to get a complete thyroid panel ordered. And, and that's because a lot of these um, conventional providers aren't trained to order a full panel. They're also not trained on, um, say, if there is any dysfunction in the thyroid, they're not trained to look at autoimmune, even though that's like the number one cause of, of these types of um, thyroid conditions. So there's just a, a lot, um, there's a lot lacking there. But but I will say, um, I, I mean, there's just so much. Um, I, I really believe that our 
Our bodies are magnificently and beautifully designed, and we do have mechanisms to heal the body. It's just a matter of recognizing um, what is harming the body and giving the body what it needs. And, and I am so happy that you mentioned that um, the concern about the aluminum and vaccines, because, um, you know, what, what you're talking about, I just... Um, that with that study coming out, I viewed that this week. And that is something for when I start training nurses, I have a practitioner toolkit with the studies and things like that, because we need to start, you know, providing patients and parents of children that have all of these health conditions with these types of materials um, to take to their pediatrician, to take to their doctor. Because again, like that lag, um, <clears throat> that is absolutely correct. But on average, we when we learn a new concept, it takes 17 years for this to get implemented, you know? Yeah. So, um, and, and you're right. There's so much damage that can be done um, between them. Yeah. And, you know, when it comes to aluminum, the reason we're so excited and like, a, and anxious because we know what's behind it, the, um, that the CDC did it because people will listen. Nurses will listen. Doctors will listen because mm -hmm. of who did it, because of the authors of the study and who put it out and where the data came from. But, um, and, in, and I'm happy to send you the link on Informed Choice Washington, we've got an aluminum page and I have on there a collection of published aluminum studies about the damage of aluminum. Um, and I think the earliest um, goes back to maybe, I don't, I'll pull it up here in a bit and give you the dates, but it's like in the early 2000s, all the way up until um, this most recent one, which I, I'm not sure I've added it yet. I need to add it there, mm -hmm. but it's it's been there. It's been the right, but nobody will listen. Nobody will pay attention. At least I shouldn't say nobody. The mainstream, you know, as long as the CDC is ignoring it, and that's what they do brilliantly, if they don't have a good response to what you're saying to them, challenging them on, they just go silent. And they've been silent on aluminum until now. So I can provide you with all that you could to, you know, you can have this um, full body of, of information on the on aluminum um, that has been done. Christopher Exley is one of the most brilliant uh, experts on aluminum. And he was he's been studying aluminum for 30 years, aluminum in the environment, in the air, in the water, in our food, in the soil. Um, and he was so highly respected until he decided to look at aluminum adjuvants and vaccines. And then, and then he lost funding and the college didn't want him to do any more. And Gene, I wonder if they'll bring him back now that the CDC has published this study. We'll see. Maybe he'll be allowed to speak. Um, so did you see who was the uh, senior author on the study? Stefano. Yeah, the guy that uh, kept uh, Dr. Thompson out from uh, ever uh, giving any of the uh, public comments on yeah. the MMR studies? He's been a thorn in the side. He's he's very interesting fellow. He's been around a long time. You see his name for the past couple of decades on a lot of stuff. Usually really good about writing, um, drafting, designing studies that show what they want them to show and not. He was on another of my favorite studies that I like to show to people because right now, if you go to the CDC website and, and you just look up uh, vaccines and autism, you'll get to a page that vaccines don't cause autism. And But if you actually take the time to click on the links to the studies, they say show that. And I've That's said it before, so I won't spend a lot of time. You go to the, the antigens study 
And it's just tobacco science because they look at one group of kids who got one level of antigens in their vaccines, which is the protein or the viral component, and kids who got the other. And lo and behold, both groups of kids had autism in the groups. Therefore, vaccine antigens aren't associated with autism is what it concludes. There's no unvaccinated control group. But it gets better because at the conclusion of the study, the Stefano and others who now have admitted to the asthma concluded that in cases of regressive autism, they can't rule out environmental factors, including vaccines. Come on. Okay. So, you know, I don't know what's up with DeStefano. Um, oh, now, he's, he's, um, being, he's being whitewashed. He's being cleaned up. Yeah. Yeah. And Jeffrey Jackson did a really good job on the high wire this week, looking at that particular study and showing the kids that were, they, they tried to minimize the, the amount of kids that were in it who might have asthma and their exposure. And even then it was, it was just really off the charts. And um, so, okay. So that was your, let me see, look at the rest of the notes from all you said, financial motives on both sides. And I'm, I'm glad you really bring that up because, you know, we want people to be able to make a living helping us stay healthy and helping us heal. There, you know, I'm not opposed to profit. I'm opposed to profit gouging. I'm a pro, opposed to, um, you know, profiteering, as it were. There you go. But um, in the field of functional medicine, you know, there are so many different approaches. And sometimes you get practitioners who are very excited about supplementing the heck out of you. It gets expensive, and that's not my favorite way to do it, right? Um, and others have different modalities. There's a lot. So you do need to shop. You do need to explore and really do a lot of homework, even as you move forward, to find out the path that seems to make sense to you and reevaluate as you go. Um, I have found that most practitioners um, in this field are very open to listening to, you know, your input, at least in my, I bet maybe I've been lucky, but <laughs> listening to the patient and it's listening to the patient. That's really key here, isn't it? To Mm -hmm. uh, absolutely. And I will say like, that's one of the most frustrating things as being a, being a patient is because they, you know, you're the expert in your body, you know, when something is not right in your body and you go around and you just have these professionals talking at you and nobody actually sits down and takes the time to listen to you. So that yeah. is one thing. Um, and, and again, with like <clears throat> the cost of operating a functional medicine practice, you're going to spend a lot more time like one-on-one -on -one, um, with your um, patient population. And then for me, like I spend a lot of time one-on-one, -on -one, but then I also spend time doing research on their case, trying to figure out, okay, if, the, if they have these deficiencies, what could possibly be causing it? What could be going on in their environment? And then you're also spending time, you know, collaborating with their healthcare team. So um, what I've done, um, and, and again, like, the reason why um, I decided to, just for me to not depend on not to depend on um, a stream of income coming from things like sales, like I just I felt like 
it didn't feel right for me because of like what I had been through in the past with other practitioners. So for me, um, I operate at very, very low um, startup costs and very low operating costs. And then I also work in, you know, memberships and packages and things like that. That way I'm not dependent on, you know, this client needs to take X amount of supplements per month for me to be able to, you know, um, to pay my bills, you know? So I think there's a lot of really creative ways that you can go about that. Um, But it was just important to me that uh, the clients that I work with, if I make a recommendation for testing or from for supplementation, that they know that that is a genuine recommendation without any type of conflict of interest. Wonderful. That is, that's so important. I was wondering, and it's okay, because I'm just throwing this out you. So if you can't think of it off the top of your head, it's okay. But can you think of any examples of where you would give us, say, the traditional Western allopathic approach to that and that health problem and a function functional medicine approach to the problem? So listeners can really hear the difference in these approaches. Oh, I would love to. And one of the um, <clears throat> oh, sorry, I. I was just sick last week. I lost my voice. It finally came back, but I'm, I still get hoarse when I'm talking. Okay. <clears throat> my voice is not always like this, um, but uh, diabetes. So this is becoming so incredibly common. And with the conventional approach, um, <clears throat> they will typically order um, each year, you'll get a complete metabolic panel that includes your fasting glucose. Well, um, when your fasting glucose starts trending up into the pre-diabetes range, then they start thinking, okay, you're developing diabetes. Maybe we could do some, you know, dietary interventions and we're just going to watch. We're going to wait and see. And as this continues to trend up, we'll implement medication therapy like metformin. And then when it gets really bad, they'll go into um, giving insulin and things like that. Now with functional medicine, because we look at labs so differently, I don't look at these very, um, very um, broad ranges. So for a fasting glucose, I will want to see that that's optimal, like around 85 um, instead of, you know, 95 Plus, if if you're getting into that range, I'm thinking, okay, we really, really need to um, work on reversing this dysfunction in the body. Um, Also, I like to run more sensitive markers like a hemoglobin A1C. Sometimes a person's fasting glucose can look okay, but then when we look at the hemoglobin A1C, which gives us an idea of what is your blood sugar on average for the past three months. If I see that that is suboptimal, then that's also something that I'm going to flag and we're really going to start working on that, um, a more sensitive marker is going to be fasting insulin. And, and, on, and I will say these are very inexpensive markers to order. So uh, fasting insulin, if somebody, um, that range is very crazy. It's zero to 25. But if your fasting insulin is creeping up above a five, then that's a sign that your body may be in those early phases of metabolic dysfunction. And we know when there is a dysfunctional process in the body, again, why would we wait until that person gets so sick and has so much damage to then intervene when we know that 
earlier intervention, we're going to have better outcomes. So with functional medicine, if I see that somebody is in the um, pre-diabetic range or um, the um, diabetic range, and, and, and again, I also do collaborate with their healthcare team, but we know instead of jumping straight to something like metformin, which can have a lot of really nasty side effects, it also can deplete the body of B12. Um, we know that studies show us that berberine, 500 milligrams, two to three times per day, has a very similar mechanism of action as um, metformin does without the nasty side effects. And berberine has been used medicinally for thousands of years. Um, we also know that um, nutrient deficiencies tend to go hand in hand with metabolic dysfunction and uh, diabetes and whatnot. So we want to make sure we replete your nutrients like chromium, magnesium, and vitamin D. We have studies on how chromium 200 to 400 micrograms daily can help to reduce the hemoglobin A1C, reduce your blood sugar, sugar, get you feeling better. And then also um, when we talk about toxicities, I feel like toxins and detox has kind of become a, a dirty word. Because again, like, you know, there are a lot of detox things on the market. Some of them are great. Some of them might not work so well. And also kind of some patients get encouraged to take these things too much. But um, there, there's so much information in the published literature about environmental toxicities, heavy metal toxicities, other things that we're exposed to in our environment and how that is linked to diabetes, cardiovascular disease, all kinds of other diseases. There's so much of this. I could literally start printing these papers off and stack my nine foot ceilings with them. That's how <laughs> prevalent it is in the scientific literature. But when we talk about the toxicity component, so as a protective mechanism, when we have high loads of a toxic burden, the body will actually store these toxicities away in our adipose tissue and our fatty tissue to help to protect from vital organs. So in some cases, the body will actually cause you to become insulin resistant because when you're insulin resistant, that is going to send a signal to the brain to store more calories as fat. And then you have more fat to store these toxicities as that protective mechanism. Oh, hold really on a minute. What, what you just said is blowing my mind here. You're that it's so brilliant design of our bodies. It's it's putting on weight to protect you. I had no idea. I, there's a lot of things I've learned over the past you know years about what the body can do. It can if you've got heart blockage, it can do new routes around and, and, you know, but I just, I had never heard this before. So, okay, this is so important. I hope you remember your train of thought. It was just wonderful, but that just sort of blew me away. And, and it, it, it also shows that you really need good guidance when you go to detox and lose weight, because if you, if you do that too quickly, then you're going to flood your system with with these now trapped and now newly released toxins. So you have to be able to get them out safely. 
Yes. Yeah, but that's a really great point. And, you know, this is something that's become one of my specialties is weight loss resistance. And I see so many ladies that come to my practice that have gained a lot of weight without any changes in their lifestyle or their dietary intake. And not only can this be from a heavy toxic burden from metals and things like that, it also can be from mycotoxins from mold. So I live in Tennessee, which is a very, very humid state. Um, there's mold everywhere. Not all mold produces toxic mycotoxins, but a lot of mold does. And something else that can cause this weight loss resistance that is very much so linked to mycotoxins is leptin resistance. That's another um hormone in the body that when that is elevated, that is basically telling the body, okay, we're in survival mode. So we need to, we need to store all your calories as fat, kind of similar to what happens with insulin resistance. But um, I, I will say that, you know, with toxicities in general, this is something that is so ignored in mainstream medicine. And then with functional medicine, it is recognized. It is a big deal, but you've got to be really, really careful if you're going to put anybody on any type of detox detoxification protocol, because you can really hurt that person if their drainage pathways are not open, if they're low thyroid, because, you know, if you're low thyroid, um, sluggish thyroid means sluggish everything else. And that was also another negative experience I had when I started with functional medicine, because you've, you've got to make sure that you are working with a provider that really understands how all of these body systems work together. Because um, if you are over supplementing somebody or you're trying to detox them too fast, and that person is coming to you and saying, I don't feel good on this. Um, one of the worst things that you can say is, oh, that's just a detox reaction. That means you're getting the stuff out. Just go ahead and push through. Um, I actually had a provider that told me that. And at the time, I was really sick. When you're body is sick, your mind is weak. <laughs> so I wasn't thinking through it. And I, I listened to them and I ended up, it, it really set me back a couple of years in my health. So, um, so I, so I, I really feel like, um, you know, having the training I have and then the experience as a patient and combining that all together. Cause when, when you go through these protocols and you go through the medical system, you know, it, you know, it's kind of like going through, functional medicine boot camp because you learn all of these things. And again, no, no practitioner or provider is perfect. You know, we're always trying to grow and learn. Um, but um, this is an area that, um, you know, we know people need to detox, but we need to make sure that that person is ready to detox and we need to start slow. We, we need to start low and, and go slow to not cause any damage. Yeah, there's a, oh, I wish I could, I'm so bad with remembering names. I got to have her on again, another wonderful um, healing practitioner out in Washington State. And I remember her graphic, she had a funnel and she had the different, it was labeled at different things. And, and it's like, you have to start at the bottom, which is like your liver and kidney and the things that actually get rid of the toxins. If you start loosening them up, up top, but you're plugged down below, then you, everything begins overflowing and leaking out where it shouldn't. <laughs> I'm not describing it as well as she did, but, but it was such a great image that it made me really kind of understand why you have to work on these, the um, detoxification pathways in a certain order 
so that everything will flow nice and easy. You want to unclog those things that are going to be letting it out. So explain to us, I think a lot of people, and we've talked about it a lot on the show here, have been examining and trying intermittent fasting. And Dr. Paul Merrick himself um, wonderfully devoted one of the FLCCC weekly meetings to explain how he completely reversed his type 2 diabetes. And one of his chief tools was intermittent fasting. So do you want to talk about that and, and what you've seen with that and how that applies to what you're talking about? Yes, yes. And, and it just dawned on me when I was talking about the berberine and the chromium, of course, <laughs> anti-inflammatory, whole foods based, low glycemic diet is so important. Um, I am a huge fan of intermittent fasting. I think it is incredibly healing. Um, however, not everyone is healthy enough to do that at first, especially women that are in their baby making years. So um, when um, before recommending anything like intermittent fasting, I like to do a really good assessment and then see if this person is having signs and symptoms of cortisol dysregulation, because if that person's cortisol is too high or it's too low, and then you incorporate intermittent fasting, you can really crash that person's system. And um, women that are still menstruating are a little bit more sensitive to that. So that is one thing that um, I, I do know amazing providers that are in the conventional field and they're so excited about intermittent fasting. And I've seen some of them that are just kind of like just blanket statement, putting all of their patients on intermittent fasting. And I see that it can in the beginning make some people worse. So I think that that is a good target goal. Like, okay, let's mm -hmm. first work on your stress response. Let's work on your hormones. Um, let's replete the body because most people that walk through my doors are mineral nutrient deficient their digestion is horrible. We need to get the digestion optimized. That way they can absorb and utilize all of the wonderful uh, things that they would be eating from an anti-inflammatory diet. But um, we, we just need to make sure that that person is healthy enough to do some intermittent fasting and then ease into it and monitor symptoms because, you know, the body is going to speak to us in symptoms. And I think that so many of us have just gotten out of tune with that. So, you know, if you do some intermittent fasting and you are exhausted the next day, that's your body telling you that you're not ready for it yet. Wow. That's interesting. That signal. Well, when I do it, I feel great. So I must be ready for it. Um, yes. I, I, I think it's an area that really needs explored. Of course, everything needs to be individualized. I mean, the, there is no one size fits all for everything. And I have heard something about, you know, women in their childbearing years. However, I, my own personal experience, um, when I was a younger woman in my teens and, and 20s, um, I didn't know it was called intermittent fasting, but I was, you know, I did some dancing and things at the time. And I just knew that if I stopped eating at six o'clock and didn't eat again until the next day, which turned out to be 12 to 14 hours, which is intermittent fasting. And I didn't always go to 16, but it usually was around 14. Um, my weight was great. I felt great. Um, and it didn't interrupt my cycles or anything hormonally. So, and I know that not, you know, it's, it's more natural for human beings to not eat all day long. Um, and intermittent fasting doesn't have to be a huge time. So I don't want to, um, there might be some women that 
who are attempting to get pregnant and they need to get rebalanced and it could be intermittent fasting could be part of their healing process. And so I just want to say, um, yeah, find somebody who's really good to advise you and figure out what your problems are. And it, you know, it might not necessarily, it might be something you could, should try or you shouldn't try, um, I guess, <laughs> individualized. Well, and also, and, and that's another thing that I just love about functional medicine, because that's what we see in, in the conventional world. It's like, okay, you have this disease, this is what you're going to do. But then, you know, what works well in one person's body may not work well in somebody else, because we're all just, we have such different biochemistry. So, but I do think with things like intermittent fasting, when somebody is, is ready for that, and their hormones are looking good, you can kind of um, ease into it. Because honestly, say that you are finishing dinner at six, and then you have breakfast at 6 a.m. That alone right there is a 12-hour fast, which is great. But you can start like each day kind of extending, like having breakfast a little bit later and then monitoring how monitoring how you're doing. Um, but um, I will say um, in, in the U.S., having this unlimited access to food, we're really like what you said before, we're, we're just we're not designed to be eating all day. And when right. we are eating, when we're snacking all day, especially when we're not hungry, um, that's it's a lot of energy for the body um, that the body could be using to heal itself. And also another thing I find over and over and over and over is people have such an upregulated stress response that they are producing significantly less stomach acid than, and they don't really have enough to for proper digestion. And that's actually why a lot of people end up with GI issues and heartburn and then downstream nutrient deficiencies. But if you're super high stress, that is going to be horrible for the body anyway. And that alone is going to deplete you of essential minerals like things like magnesium. But then when you're eating all day long and, and then you don't have the digestive capacity for your digestive system to do its job, that's even more taxing for the system. And that can be one of the reasons why some people feel tired after, after they eat. Wow, that you keep giving me all these wonderful insights. I love this. Um, and I, I, mean, I know about now I call it like there's the, the fight or flight mode. That's your stressful mode where you're geared up, you're ready to either run or fight. Um, and um, your digestion really wants to shut down. It wants to focus on having all your energy go to react to the situation at hand. And then the opposite is feed and breed. And, you, and, I, and I invite you, um, after I start ramp, stop rambling here to tell me the official terms of these, but yes. the feed and breed is when you're relaxed and you're calm and you're digesting. This is when, you know, you eat and you digest well and you're able to make babies and that hard thing. And we need that balance in our lives of the flight, flight and feed and breed. But most people today are living, as you said, in that fight or flight. And every time they turn on the TV or the radio or whatever, there's stress, 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 fear, fear, fear. And I hadn't thought about that in terms of indigestion and the different things that people, they just shrug off, not really realizing how important it is. It's those early stages of health beginning to turn in the wrong direction. And that needs to be addressed. So yeah, talk about those two modes. 
Yeah, yeah. And um, something easy to remember, uh, stress literally kills you. So yeah. um, it's something we've got to get under control. It's a normal part of life. Um, but yeah, so sympathetic nervous system response is going to be that fight or flight response, which it's completely normal and natural for us to go into that sometimes, but we're not supposed to spend the majority of our day, the majority of our life in sympathetic dominant, dominance mode. Parasympathetic is rest digest and heal. So, so again, and I, this is one thing I really like to um, hone in whenever I work with my clients or whenever I'm doing any training with nurses is that, um, you know, if your client <clears throat> is eating the perfect diet, they're taking the most expensive supplements and they're exercising, but they don't have stress and sleep under control you're only going to move the needle so much. If you're able to get a hold of this stress response, um, then you're just, you're going to heal so much faster. And when we talk about the um, digestion, so, uh, so, so yeah, like when you, and, and honestly, most people are rushing through eating their meals, they're eating through work, or, you know, they're eating when they're listening to something stressful. It's not, um, we're so go, go, go. We're so busy, busy, busy. We have our phones dinging all the time. Time, that the screens are on constantly, all of these things that are very stimulating to the body and can stress that response. And it's just a matter of retraining the brain and being in tune with like, okay, is my body upregulated right now? Is my mind and my body upregulated? And again, if you have an upregulated stress response, you are going to have an upregulated immune response too. And nowadays we have people that are reacting to um, so many different foods, chemical sensitivities, and all of these things. And um, the key ways to fixing that is controlling this stress response. So um, one thing that I like to teach people is uh, limbic system retraining. And it's kind of a similar mechanism of, you know, if you are sitting down for the end of the day and you're watching like a suspense thriller on TV or a horror movie, you know that you are in a safe place. You are in your living room. You're relaxed. Nobody's going to get you in your living room. But when you are watching somebody being chased down on TV, you start to feel the angst. You notice that your heartbeat starts racing, you know, so that is enough to trigger the stress response because the brain is perceiving um, the visual from what you're watching and the um, the visual, the audio, and then the, um, the, the brain has a hard time, uh, the innate part of the brain has a hard time telling the difference between what you're seeing on the screen and actual reality. So you start to have like a physiological stress response. So just like we know that that can happen when we're, you know, watching TV, um, I like to teach people to be in tune, like do these check-ins with your body. How is your body feeling? Are you getting triggered by something that you're seeing? And, and again, with, with COVID, I have so many people that, you know, they're like, I'm not going to think about the last two years, what happened. And then they go out to the store and there's like a sign for, you know, um, six foot distancing. And then people get triggered through that. When you feel yourself getting triggered, go back to like, what is a really happy memory for you? Like, was it when you had your first kid or you're at the beach or you got married, go back and really start to focus on these happy memories and like what was going on. How did you feel? Um, who were you with? Who were you talking to? Kind of work to relive these past um, memories that bring you happiness and joy, and that can snap you out of the stress response. Also, just simple 
breathing exercises. Like these are all things that you can do for free. Like even if you're a busy mom and you have like no time for yourself and you're doing the dishes, you could, you know, work on doing deep breathing exercises because this is something else when we're in fight or flight, our respirations are quick. When we slow down and we start taking the deep breaths, that also signals the body and the brain, okay, we are out of fight or flight. We're safe. We can relax now. So simple things like smiling, and breathing are all things that can trigger um, the uh, parasympathetic response. Yeah, I love that. And, you know, I I coined a phrase um, for my mama years ago. Um, So many people, um, especially like a lot of moms, a lot of women, but, you know, Javier, dads too, running families, we tend to put others first and ourselves last and we feel guilty if we do things that are good for us, that are taking us away, giving ourselves an emotional break. And so I I made up a little phrase that I would repeat to her of self-care is not selfish care. So you got to remember that we have to take care of ourselves because I mean, we can't help anybody else if, if we're falling apart and yeah. So putting yourself at times first is okay. We've got maybe two more, three more minutes, two more minutes. So this has been so wonderful. Um, I want you to tell listeners where they can find you, find more information if they're a nurse or or just somebody who's looking for some help. Yes, absolutely. So I do moderate a Facebook group. It's called Holistic Health and Nutrition. So um, you can join that group and I um, directly um, can converse uh, with my followers in there. Um, You also can find me on Instagram and Facebook at um, Integrative Nurse Coaching. Now, I also do have a freebie on my website. Um, And again, like I absolutely do not spam. I send like one email per year, but um, there's a pop-up. And if you type in your email address, um, it'll send you an anti-inflammatory template. This is the template that I've used um, with many of my clients. And I see I, I, I see it work. It's basically just a template to give you guys ideas of what anti-inflammatory whole food-based diets look like um, for nurses that are interested in training. Uh, so you could go um, to my website site, uh, integrativenursecoaching.com. And there's a business tab there. And you can, there's actually information to sign up for my, um, my spring cohort starting at the end of January. Enrollment is open for that. And also, if you're a nurse and you just have some questions about this program, feel free to shoot me an email. Um, if you want to sign up, but you just want to learn a little bit more about it, I'm happy to book a 15 minute call with you and answer any questions that you have. Melissa, this is so exciting. Thank you so much for the in-depth, the the mind-opening little nuggets that you dropped. I so much appreciate it. Um, And Dr. X is going to abandon me against the next hour, but we've got a great uh, guest, Dr. Annika Jackson, coming up in a recorded interview. So we're going to take a quick break. Stay tuned. You've been listening to an Informed Life radio on 1150 AM, KKNW, and CHDTV. We'll be back in a few minutes. publication that delivers honest takes and critical insights into the issues of our day, then look no further than The Flame Paper. The Flame Paper is written for the people, by the people, who aren't afraid to challenge a mainstream narrative, be it health care, voter fraud, political correctness, or even the one world government. 
The Flame is full of timely articles, reports, and expert advice written by freedom-loving, truth-telling experts, journalists, and concerned citizens. To subscribe, go to theflameusa.com. During this unprecedented response to an infection outbreak, it has been made very clear that shutting down lives and businesses is not sustainable or repeatable. We've also learned that it's unnecessary. Treatments exist and always exist. For 99% of the population, nutrients and oxidative therapies that support the immune system and improve symptoms are always available to address viral infections. For the less than 1% who need more, inexpensive, unpatentable drugs can be added to the nutrient therapies to improve outcomes. It's time each and every one of us empower ourselves with this knowledge. We need not ever bring our lives to a halt again. We can both save lives and retain the liberty that nourishes us body and soul. Learn more at HealthyImmunityNow.org. That's HealthyImmunityNow.org. Informed Choice Washington is a nonprofit organization that advocates for healthy immunity, medical freedom, and fully informed medical consent. The right to make medical choices without coercion is fundamental to our civil liberties and a basic principle in all human rights declarations. To learn more, tune in each Friday from 3 to 5 p.m. to an Informed Life Radio and visit the website informedchoicewa.org. It's time to take a stand for medical freedom. Go to informedchoicewa.org today. We need a revolution. There's only one solution. I need somebody to show me, somebody to show me love. We need a revolution. Hello and welcome back to an Informed Life Radio on 1150 AM KKNW and CHD TV. So glad uh, you could join me here this afternoon. I love that we're focusing today on health and healing. In that first hour, we had Melissa Schreibfeder. Uh, she is so fantastic. Functional medicine. I really do believe that that is where uh, we're going to find so many of the solutions and the reformation that needs to happen in medicine and health moving forward. It is a type of medicine that really looks to see what's going wrong functionally within you and tries to help you on the journey of healing and wellness. Um, and it reaches out to all modalities of healing from Western to to Eastern and everything in between. It, it's really a beautiful practice, very flexible. There's a lot of different types of healers within functional medicine. Um, my next guest wasn't available today, so I recorded her a little bit ago. And her name is Dr. Anaheed Jackson. She is a young, intuitive healer. There are there just comes along some people in this world where you feel like they were meant to be healers. I think if we lived a couple hundred years ago, she would have been chosen to be the wise woman, the herbalist, you know, just at a young age, she figured out what she wanted to do and what spoke to her. And she's somebody that I met years ago, as you'll hear in the interview. And since then, I have spoken with and heard from a lot of people 
who have been her patients, who are friends of mine, and just they they are so pleased with the outcome and the healing journey that she has taken them on, and especially their children. I want to read to you a little bit about her, and then we'll do the recording here. So Dr. Anahid Jackson is a naturopathic physician who specializes in homeopathic medicine. She grew up in Colorado and graduated from the National University of Natural Medicine in Portland, Oregon. In her first year of medical school, she was introduced to the subject of homeopathy and instantly knew her calling was to be a homeopath and a lifelong student of this medicine. Dr. Anna works with patients of all ages, but has a particular interest in working with adults and children who have complex mental and behavioral disabilities, such as autism, ADD, ADHD, PANS, PANDAS, anxiety, depression, and more. And, you know, when we think about it right now, I, we have an epidemic of those in this nation. And through this experience, we all just have been going through from so many angles, uh, a lot of that, especially the anxiety and the depression, autoimmune disorders and different things are really on the rise. She regularly attends seminars and lectures on these topics and has completed additional homeopathic training to work with this specific population. She loves learning therapies that focus on treating the root cause of illness and that work in harmony with the body's natural ability to heal. She hopes that her patients feel empowered to apply the knowledge they have gained to take control of their own health and the health of their families. She's in, in Washington State now with her practice. And so I guess with that, I'm going to go ahead and we'll, we'll play the recording. If there's a few minutes left when it's done, I'll pop back on and say a few more words to you. So here you go. Here is Dr. Anahi Jackson. Welcome, Dr. Anna, to an Informed Life Radio. Thank you so much for having me, Bernadette. I, it's such a pleasure to have you here. I believe the first time we met, wasn't it in like Chicago at Autism One? Yeah, yes. Yeah. yeah, before everything went crazy. I'm so glad that we went that year, you know, because yeah. then they postponed it and it was online. But that was such a special event. I still think about that event. I met so many amazing people there. I did too. I did too. And for listeners who are new to what Autism One is, it's an annual conference that was initially begun. And I don't know the full history, but obviously um, autism parents and um, healers coming together to, you know, talk about the latest protocols, modalities, all of the different things, share their stories, support each other. But over the years, it has grown. You don't have to um, be working to help an individual with autism to get tremendous benefit out of the Autism One Conference because the and and I ended up going partly because I'm with Informed Choice Washington, so I can report back this great information to our, um, you know, to our our individuals, you know, who are members and the and the board. But because I actually found the whole vaccine community, vaccine safety reform, injury, autism community in my own quest for a family member injured by en- environmental exposure. 
And that leads you to all the work that has been done for, because, you know, nobody's more motivated than a parent trying to help their child, right? And some of the amazing healing that has been discovered by these mama bears and papa bears and these wonderful doctors that are, it sort of drove, I feel, the movement for functional medicine um, and, and all these other like naturopaths like you are and homeopathy. A lot of these discoveries, though, are so helpful in what we're dealing with today with so many different health issues today. So, uh, so Dr. Ani, very, you, you're very young. And when I met you several years ago, I think you were pretty new out of um, having just graduated and gotten your your license. Where you had a degree at this point, I'm not even sure you actually had your license yet. No, no, Brenda, I actually graduated a, a couple months after we met. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So tell tell the audience here about what drove you to study naturopathy and then focus on homeopathy. Yeah. Yeah. So I was always very interested in medicine because I really love dealing with people, teaching people, helping people. But then when I was in college, I uh, was really interested in nutrition. And I realized that doctors don't learn anything about nutrition in medical school. And that perplexed me because that is the foundation of health is what you eat and what you put in your body. And so then I started to think, what am I going to learn if I go to medical school? Am I actually going to learn things that are going to help people? Or am I going to basically be a drug pusher? (laughs) And I concluded that I was going to be a drug pusher if I went that route. (laughs) And that I really didn't want to do that. And so I was actually pretty scattered, didn't know what I was going to do. And then I was Googling really late one night and I came across naturopathic medicine and what a naturopathic doctor was. And my heart felt so full and I knew, oh my gosh, this is what I'm going to do. So if you didn't really even know anything about naturopathy until this point, Does that mean you were raised with more of a conventional medicine approach? And yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. So my parents were pretty conventional, I would say. They always, well, my dad is a philosopher. He has a philosophy degree. So he taught me to question everything. And I think that's where a lot of my I I don't trust something before I experience it or I read it in depth or I study something. And so I think, so my parents were pretty conventional. They always listened to the doctor. The doctor always had the hierarchy. And then my brothers, my mom's brothers are both medical doctors. And so I was kind of raised conventionally, although my mom is from Iran And so she did a lot of home cooked meals. We had some herbal remedies that she would use a couple of times. But I really don't know where this love of natural things came from. (laughs) Right now, my parents kind of laugh at me because I live out in the country, like way out in the country. We have a lot of land. I garden. I have a huge greenhouse. And I just love getting messy and dirty and walking around barefoot everywhere. And they even say, like, where did this come from? This is not the daughter we raised. 
<laughs> That's funny. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know where it comes from, but I just always felt that way. Yeah. Yeah, that's neat. And then, so then you ended up enrolling and you went to the Oregon Naturopathic College? Yeah, yes, yeah, yes. The one in Portland. So there's mm-hmm. only, there was five schools in North America. I think there's only four now. Yeah. And so it's a shrinking profession, which I don't want to get too off topic, but I think it's because naturopaths have kind of bowed down to the medical system and they've integrated too much yeah pharmaceutical medicine and so yeah and so it's it's our profession is not in a really good place right now and well and yeah and it seems to that seems to be sort of this historical rise and fall and I actually believe you're going to be on the rise that your approach is being needed now because with this craziness of COVID, the corruption of medicine, the, you know, uh, profit before patient approach that has um, infiltrated, we're going to, this is going to be a positive show, so we won't linger there too much though, has been revealed in people's individual experiences with the hospital system, with their doctor, with the protocols, with the shots, with all of that, they have begun to see and, you know, in the late 1890s, early 1900s, the war against natural medicine, there were, I don't recall how many, so don't quote me on the number, but I think there were like a hundred homeopathic colleges in the United States more than a hundred years ago. And there was a systemic war. I mean, you can read about it. They, they, they wrote um, like, we've got to get rid of those because the whole approach to medicine that was homeopathic and more naturopathic in nature, there were a couple of things that the whole Rockefeller approach to medicine, they didn't like is number one, you spend a lot of time with the patients. You can't get them in and out. And even even in the early 1900s, there was the move to more like push patients quickly through because you maximize your profit. And then there was, if you can give them something that's a very inexpensive uh, remedy, like a homeopathic remedy, where's your profit? Yeah, anybody can make, <laughs> by the way, yeah. anybody can make that. Yeah, and you yeah. Can duplicate remedies really easily. It's very, very cheap medicine. It's very yeah. Cheap. Yeah. And so, you know, the, the profit for, for the Rockefellers and Carnegie's and, and other, um, the major money sources that really propelled this nation forward into the industrial industrial age, you know, they were doing railroads, they were doing medicine. It was all the same to them. It was an industry. It was money. How do you make money? You know, not to say that they didn't do some really good advances. And I'm not saying that they were trying to hurt people, but the business model, the business yes. model pushed in this direction, but it didn't necessarily serve health. So no, it did not. And and just Bernadette really fast. Rockefeller actually had a personal homeopathic physician that traveled with him everywhere. Oh, now that's interesting. I did not know that. Yeah, (laughs) It's kind of like today, I wouldn't be surprised if Fauci actually did take ivermectin, you know? Yeah. He finally (laughs) confessed that, oh yeah, I take vitamin D every day. Yeah. Oh, yeah. oh, okay. Thank you for sharing that with Americans <laughs> at the beginning of all this to let them know that there are things you can do to improve your immune response. But anyway, 
Um, so you, so there you were, you're, you're learning all this wonderful things about how to support health and the immune system. And then you discovered homeopathy. So, yeah, and that so, really spoke to you. I know. So I remember my first lecture, homeopathic lecture, Dr. Jared Zeff, who is in Vancouver, not that far away from me. And this and is Washington, Vancouver, Washington. Yeah, in, in Washington. Yeah. And he spoke about homeopathy. It really intrigued me because I didn't quite understand it because it's very different than any natural medicine. It's like its own, you could spend your whole life studying just homeopathy, Mm -hmm. you know? And so it, it very much intrigued me. And then I actually started just dabbling with it. I went to see Dr. Matt Zorn, who was the homeopathic teacher for a very long-standing issue that I had, I had extremely um, debilitating, painful periods every month, and to the fact, to the point where I just had so much pain when they would start, I wouldn't be able to go anywhere. It was nausea, hot flash. Like I felt like I was going through menopause and birthing a baby every time I would have my period. <laughs> And so he gave me a remedy. I took it one time. I've never experienced that ever since that remedy. And when that happened, I said, what is this? Because up until that point, I had been taking a lot of herbal medicines for pain relief and they were Mm -hmm. helping, but they never got rid of the issue and homeopathy Mm -hmm. did. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And there, there's just, there's so many, uh, stories like that, where they, somebody tried everything else and they did this, but then there is some science. I mean, there's been some major experiences where like Cuba has used homeopathy for the masses and it, it worked great. And I can't remember the specific situation. Maybe you can, but let's describe to viewers who, who maybe have seen the word homeopathic on a label of something at the store, you know, because some of these remedies are available like your your local pharmacy or in the grocery store drug aisle, but they don't quite know what that means. And a lot of people confuse homeopathy and naturopathy. They think they're all the same thing. So the way I understand it, allopathy, which is your Western medicine, is the science of, um, of opposites. If, if I'm saying that right. So if you have inflammation, you take an anti-inflammatory and usually mm-hmm. it's a, it's a big amount of a drug. Um, and it, you know, and it works in that way, the way you're usually using, like, let's say aspirin, it's an antipyretic. It helps bring your heat down. It helps relieve inflammation and pain. Homeopathy is the science of similars, correct? Yes. But you don't take a big dose, you don't take 25 milligrams or 50 milligrams. You take doses that are so small and I'll have you explain it. It's measured in a very unique way because some there's so little of it that you take, but the one I love um, for kids is the homeopathic Ipecap. So the product Ipecap, a lot of moms are familiar with, it's in the cupboard in case your child swallow some sort of poison and you need to make them throw it up. Um, So a a full strength dose of Ipecap will make you throw up. But if you are nauseous or you've got a, 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 a real phlegmy gagging cough and you're coughing so much, it's making you throw up. 
you can take a homeopathic dosage of Ipecac and it will stop you from throwing up. Yeah. Right? yeah. So, so it's the science of, of similars. You take something, a tiny dose of, that would normally in a normal dose do something similar to what you're already experiencing. <laughs> and there's crazy stuff when you, when you first hear about it, that homeopathy is made of that would seem poisonous or whatever. So, okay. So let, let's go from there. So that probably is partly what excited you. It's like, what the heck is going on here? I know it was (laughs) such an interesting, yeah. And you described it so well, Bernadette. So for example, let's say that somebody gets a really bad burn and let's say that they get a really bad burn and it feels, it's very inflamed. It's red. It starts to swell. It feels really burny and maybe a little itchy. And that resembles, let's say a bumblebee sting. You can take homeopathic bumblebee, which is apis, is the remedy for that burn because the symptoms are exactly the same as a bumblebee sting. And so it's just matching the state of where you are presently to a homeopathic remedy that Mm -hmm. in crude doses in, you know, in doses that are far more, like you said, like a tincture of Ipecac would make you nauseous and throw up, but mm-hmm. a tiny, tiny diluted dose of Ipecac would help with nausea. So it's yeah. the same, same principle. Yeah. It, and it works at this level that science is only beginning to be able to measure as far as like the biological mechanisms, because it's working on the, the level of energy and you know, all of us, you know, we're made of physical substance, you know, I'm patting myself here. But if you look under a microscope, you begin to see, wow, it's just all these little cells. And if you get further down into the cells, you see, wait a minute, it's, it's an atom. And, and there's a nucleus. And in between that is a bunch of nothing. Like we feel solid, but we're really down to our littlest bit, just vibrational energy sort of held together by seems like magic, but it, it works at this energetic level because we're energetic beings. And there's something that you dilute and dilute and dilute. Now I want you to explain the dilution process. And yet it retains something of the energy of that item enough so that you're, it, it, it seems to send a signal to your body to take care of this rather than cause more of it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, so we can think about Einstein's equation E equals MC squared. Mm-hmm. E is energy. M is matter. Okay. And so energy equals matter times the speed of light squared. But if we dilute the matter, we actually mm-hmm. it, the energetic force. Oh, that's fascinating. E equals that I never sense? thought of it. Yes. And wow. so, so how you make a remedy is you take, let's say a calendula flower, you make a tincture of calendula. And a and tincture, you, you would like put the, the flower in, in some alcohol. alcohol. Okay. To draw yeah. out. Okay. Yeah. For a couple of weeks, put it in, you know, a high percentage alcohol to draw out the properties of calendula. And then you take one drop of that tincture to 99 drops water. 
And the most important part is you have to succuss it, which means you take, Hahnemann took a huge Bible, a hardback Bible, which I actually have one just to make remedies. Yeah. And you bang the glass vial and it has to be glass. There's something with glass and you bang it on the hard surface about 20 to 30 times. Mm -hmm. And that's your first dilution. Then you do it again. You take one drop of that 99 drops water, you bang it again. And you do that 30 times, 200 times to the point where there's if you look under a microscope, there is no original calendula matter, but there is so much calendula energy. And so the more you dilute and succuss, then you have to succuss. That's very important. You can't just dilute. There's something about that shaking that brings out the energetic quality of that original substance. Oh, this is fascinating. So I have two questions. One Can we, do we yet have the tools to measure the energy or is this just based on the experience of use of the product? How do we, how do you know the energy's there? I know the equation E equals MC squared is there, but you know, how do we know? We, we do not have the tools yet. We will in the future. I don't know when. Some homeopaths, a lot of research is done by the Homeopathic Research Institute over in Europe, and they have measured nanoparticles that are formed that greatly mimic the original substance. I don't know if that's what's going on, mm-hmm. but we have yet the tools to measure the amount of energetic quality that's in a remedy. We just know that the more diluted and succussed a remedy gets, Mm-hmm. You know, th- you know, 200 times versus a thousand times that thousand time remedy, even though it's so diluted, there's nothing in it. It's way more potent than the 200th time dilution. And, and how did, so the founder of this is, uh, Hanneman is his name? Yeah, right? Hanneman. Hanneman. Mm-hmm. Um, how in the world did he ever discover this? Well, this is really interesting. So Samuel Hahnemann was actually a medical doctor in Germany, and he was very discouraged by his peers because in his time, they did a lot of bloodletting and a lot of high dose mercury poisoning that actually killed their patients. And that's what they believed is that when, if you were sick, you need a lot of mercury and you need a lot of bloodletting. <laughs> and so he stopped practicing medicine. He knew a multiple, multiple different languages, something like six or seven languages. And so he started translating medical textbooks in order to make a living. And so he came across this idea that, well, really what happened, Bernadette, is he came across the idea of like cures like. And that's an old idea. Even Socrates talked about this. You know, it's not a a novel idea. And then he discovered that this tree called cinchona bark is an incredible treatment for malaria. And he said, why is that? Why is this tree so good for malaria? So he made a tincture of that tree and took it every day. And 
to actually develop the symptoms of malaria from taking that, that tincture. And so he said, oh, this tree is so good for malaria because it creates the exact same symptoms as malaria. So people that are in that malarial state, when they take a substance that produces those similar symptoms, it actually heals them from that state. And so then he started diluting and succussing because he didn't want to get sick from that, um, you know, like the crude substance. And that's how he started um, his theory of homeopathy. And I wonder how he, you know, that state step of the, the pounding at the succussing that, you know, it's kind of one of those, maybe amazing accidents that happen. Cause then I imagine shaking it up. Let's see if we dilute it so that, you know, and see what happens and see what happens. But it must've been the times he didn't do that, that it like, why didn't the only difference is I slammed it on the Bible. You know well, yeah, I'm going to try that. that again. <laughs> I know. I don't know if this is true because I've heard conflicting evidence, but I've heard that when Hanuman would travel in a horse and carriage, to his patient's house, the remedies worked better. I think because it was the cussing the bottles. The jostling, something about yeah. the vibrational energy. So, and it's the pounding, not just the shaking. Yeah, like, so, it has to have so that I don't know impact. if that's where it came from. I, I've heard that story. I mean, Hahnemann was back in the mid 1800s. So homeopathy yeah. is still a fairly new medicine. It's only yeah. about 230 years old. It's really not that yeah. old. And so we know very little, but what we do know, and you asked me, how do you know the energy is there? Because Bernadette, I've had so many cases, even in my own family, where something happens, you give a remedy, and then it's like, it all goes away. And, yeah. and I've seen it so many times that I'm, I know that there's energy there. <laughs> yeah. And, and that's, that's what I want to focus with you now uh, for the rest of the time. I, you've already told us your own experience where it, it got rid of one dose of a homeopathic remedy that, that uh, homeopath read you perfectly because sometimes there's experimentation because you're not quite sure if you got the right remedy the first time, but it worked for you got rid of those bad periods. They never had them again. And you have since successfully given birth to a beautiful baby girl, right? <laughs> Using homeopathy. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, and I, I had a homeopathic doctor and an acupuncturist and I, without either one of those, I wouldn't have my beautiful son who's uh, now 19. Okay. So, um, so tell us another, give us another um, story of, of healing that hap happened through homeopathy. Okay. Um, do you, would you like a very short case or a little longer, more chronic oh. case? Well, can, we've got time for one of each. Okay. 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 So let me think of an acute case. So my brother is a great example because in homeopathy, when you, it's not all the time, but I'd say about 50% of the time when you give the right remedy, the person feels very sleepy and they'll usually take a nap. And then you know you got it because sleep is healing and the mm -hmm. remedy can push someone into sleep. And my brother, every time I give him a remedy, he falls asleep and then I know I got the right one. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. He's just like really prone to do that. And so 
one time he called, um, he was working at a restaurant that he used to, this was a few years ago. All of a sudden his hands started burning like crazy and he's very stoic, but he was crying with pain. He was in so much pain. I don't know what he touched. If he touched peppers, if something, if he was allergic to something, he had no other symptoms, but he rushed home and he was just crying with pain. It's burning. Ice water would help it. But other than that, it was consistently burning for about 30 to 40 minutes. So I get a phone call from my dad saying, Anna, something's wrong. Should we take him to the ER? He's crying and just, he's in so much pain right now. So I got a little bit of the symptoms and a remedy came to mind called cantharis. Now cantharis is actually the, um, the Spanish fly beetle. It's a red beetle. It there. Um, I'm trying to think it's called cantharidin. It, it secretes cantharidin, which if you were to get it on your hands, it would cause a lot of inflammation and burning pains. So it's the Spanish, so it's the remedy made from the secretions of a Spanish fly. <laughs> cool. And so I said, okay, dad, just give him a dose of cantharis. Let's see if it works. Sure enough, he got really sleepy, fell asleep within five minutes, woke up about 15 minutes later. It was completely gone, the burning. <laughs> that is fantastic. Yeah, it was really cool. And that, and that experience, I think, really taught my parents, mm-hmm. you know, wow, because homeopathy is hard to get it and love it until you have an experience. Yeah. Yeah. I'll give you a real quick experience. One of my early ones is when my son was little and he would seem fine. He'd gone to school that day and then he's sitting on the couch And then all of a sudden he's laying down and he's clutching his head. And he said, oh, you know, and his head hurt. And I reek over and feel him and he's burning up. Just it seems so quick. So I called this naturopath who's also a homeopathic doctor and described the symptoms and and the onset and everything. She says, well, this sounds exactly like influenza. Do you have any, um, now I can't pronounce it, but it's uh, oscachilicum. It starts with an O. Yes. Do you know how to pronounce that? Ossici- one? I yeah, Ossicillin, I think. Something like I, You can get it at Fred Meyer. So you can get it at the grocery store. So I said, no, but I, I sent my husband down and he went down and get it. And um, my son always, if he gets a high fever, it makes him nauseous and starts throwing up. So, you know, I'm, I'm getting the big pan because his fever's getting higher and he's getting nauseous. And he's, you know, by the time his dad gets home, he's throwing up a little bit and his head is hurting him so bad. And that was part of what was leading the nausea. So I was able to just get a little bit, you know, those little tiny little pills to dissolve in his mouth. And within minutes, um, I mean, right away, the, the nausea stopped, he stopped throwing up. And then within minutes, he had relaxed. He was, it was like you said, he laid down on the couch, and he fell asleep, the headache kind of dissolved away. And when I checked his checked his fever again, it had been heading toward like about 102 or so. Um, and it was below it was around 99 when he woke up, which is a temperature that helps him heal, but it doesn't make him nauseous and it doesn't lead to the headache and all that. And so he just kind of had one of those fun times of being sick where you you 
you're, um, you don't feel great, but you feel well enough to watch cartoons <laughs> and to have your mom, right, then your mom wait on you. Right. And, you know, he had no expectations that this would work. He, it couldn't, it wasn't with him, the placebo effect other, I suppose, other than mother's love, but it just worked so well. And it was really a great go-to remedy uh, when he was growing up. It, it always worked for him. And there was another one, sulfur that, that worked for him in other occasions nice. too. So yeah. So, and- and, and Bernadette, and I'll tell you a chronic case, but I just wanted to add that I use homeopathy in my greenhouse all the time. I use it on my plants to help them if they ever go through like a shock of uh, frost or if I'm transplanting and they die a little bit, um, or I use a remedy to get rid of ants and it works so well. And so there's, and then, so, I mean, within homeopathy, you can use it for everything, humans, animals, plants, agricultural. I mean, you can use it for everything. So that really astounds me. Now, how do you apply it to your plants? How do you so get you it to just them? Put it, so if you just put a pellet in a sprayer bottle and then just spray the roots of the plant, it will so get you So you're diluting it even more. You put a pellet in more water and you're actually potentially diluting it even more a little bit a little yeah, bit I'm, okay. I'm 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 diluting it very a little bit more I guess you can say but it's very negligible because the amount of dilution it's already gone through is so large <laughs> I gotcha I gotcha okay yeah. yeah so adding one more bit of water to it just yeah I'm gonna have to try that yeah oh you've got actually, me there's so many amazing books homeopathy for plants by Christian Malta mm-hmm. she's from Germany she her book is beautiful it's it's just so many beautiful pictures and that's been my latest craze is using it on my garden because I am completely organic. I don't spray anything, but yet my garden doesn't have any pests or ants or, you know, anything in it. Wow. After the show, if you could um, send me the uh, link or the just name and title of that, because I okay. want to be able to have that. Um, in the references for this show for people to go look that up. Thank you. And in fact, uh, while we're thinking of it, but I'll repeat it at the end, you have a website. It's healthyrootsclinic.com. Healthyrootsclinic.com. People can look you up, read about you. And you're down, what, you're down in the Vancouver, Washington area? Yeah, I'm down in Vancouver. Yeah. So right now I am pretty much being a full-time mom, I have Mm. to say which Mm -hmm. is a lot of work and very rewarding. Um, And, and so I, I take on very small, I'm very picky about my cases because I don't have a lot of time, but Mm -hmm. people can always email me. I, I give you like colleagues that are doing amazing homeopathic things. And then my website has very low cost classes, like $15 for a nine hour class on homeopathy. Wow. And they're pre-recorded. So you, yeah, can, they're you have pre-recorded. Access, yeah. Access. And then you get a bunch of notes. And so if people really want to learn and, mm-hmm. you know, don't want to spend a lot of money, like that's a great option. Oh, for thank you for that resource. That is yeah. wonderful. So, so give us now the example of, okay. of somebody dealing with something <laughs> chronic and, okay. um, yeah. Okay. So, so I've been working, so I'm actively working with this boy still, although I don't see him as much as I used to. So mm-hmm. I started seeing him back in 2020 
And he was a, at that time, six-year-old boy with autism. And he had suffered a lot of severe reactions after his vaccinations at two years old um, and had a lot of other things going on. Um, and so. And what were I, his, because, um, you know, that's a huge spectrum that they put a lot of kids under. What were his particular issues that were so undermining his, his quality of life? Yeah. So his particular issue was his speech. It was very difficult for him to talk and verbalize what he wanted. And then when he did, it was very difficult to understand what he was saying. Mm -hmm. So he had a lot of speech developmental delays. And not only that, but he was incredibly rigid in his ideas of thinking. So things had to be a certain way, like his bed always had to be made a certain way or else he would completely lose it. So this Mm -hmm. was with his bed, with his toys that were completely lined up perfectly with, Mm -hmm. you know, certain other things day to day. Like he just could not get out of that programming of what he felt like was, was good, good enough for him. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, so those were the two big things, his speech and his, dogmatic way of thinking all of the time. <laughs> yeah. And that imagine led to a lot of frustration, probably some meltdowns and yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And so when I first saw him, I, and this was when I was like fresh out of school. Right. So I'm like, Oh, I'm so excited. <laughs> yeah. And so I actually gave him two remedies. I gave him a remedy called Hopper. So homeopathic dose of hopper, which is very um, rigid and inflexible (laughs) in of Mm -hmm. itself, like a material property. And then I also gave him a remedy called CaliCarb, which is from the periodic table and it's potassium carbonate. Mm -hmm. And I can go into very much detail of why I picked those. I mean, Mm -hmm. we have thousands of remedies in homeopathy, right? Every plant, every animal, every periodic table element. I mean, it's just kind of overwhelming when you really get into it. But I gave him those two remedies. And then I saw him a couple months later and I have his chart pulled up here. Um, And the mom told me that his speech improved about 30% since the last time and his flexibility about 30%. Oh, wow. And so he was, yeah. So we were like gaining some momentum, right? So Mm -hmm. that's about, you know, two months. And so I had him continue that same remedy because we were gaining momentum. Saw him a few months later, again, there was some improvement, but it kind of stalled a little bit. And that's really normal when you're working with a very chronic condition the person will start to heal and heal and heal and oh wow they're getting some somewhere and they're improving but then it can kind of stall okay. and go you know not backwards but mm-hmm. but stay there and so i started to think oh gosh what should i give him and i gave him actually a remedy called lac maternum which is homeopathic breast milk <laughs> wow And so I chose that remedy because 
he was completely attached to his mom. He wasn't breastfed that much. He had a lot of gut issues and Mm -hmm. breast milk is very important for the development of the immune system in the gut Mm -hmm. and some other, um, he was very much completely in his own world all of the time and breast Mm -hmm. milk as a remedy has that quality. And so I put him on that remedy and he's been on that remedy for about a year now and has slowly gotten to the point where his brother can sit on his bed. It can be messy. He doesn't care. Doesn't bother him. Wow. When I meet with him, I can understand him. Even his speech therapist told his mom, what are you doing? Because he gained so much speech during the summer when Mm -hmm. she didn't see him. She said, gosh, he's just like leaps and bounds. Like, what have you been doing? I haven't seen this kid in three months, you know? Um, And so that was a really great remedy for him. Mm -hmm. He is not completely... So he was moderate autism. He was diagnosed as that. Mm-hmm. I would say at this point, he still has tendencies, but he's able to have a quality of life that he didn't have before. Like he can go and do things or he can go and play in the mud and get all dirty and mm-hmm. doesn't freak out about it and doesn't have a meltdown, yeah. you know, whereas before he would never, ever want dirt to touch his body. Wow. You know? Yeah. So I'm still working with him. It's not a completely healed case, but mm-hmm. in that progress, we've seen a lot of healing. Wow. To get a to get a child who has these injury issues that undermine the quality of his life, which of course expands to the whole family, to get him to that point where it's subdued enough that he gets to enjoy being a kid. Yeah, you know, and to learn and have friends and all that as he continues the healing journey. I mean, that that's every parent's wish who, yeah. you know, has a child that has been injured like that. That is. Yeah, so, yeah he's yeah. doing really well. We're still working on things. And it's funny because when you work on certain things, they get better, but then other things can come up in the healing mm-hmm. journey. And mm-hmm. so when I'm working with someone that has a chronic issue, I just have to set really healthy expectations of what is possible and mm-hmm. how much it takes because it's been two years. I'm still working with him. He's not hundred percent. Nobody's ever completely a hundred percent though. Right. Yeah. We all have our ups and downs. <laughs> exactly. But yeah. he's able to go to school, you know, go do things, have more freedom, um, not be so rigid about his life you know, and those things Mm -hmm. will stay with him. And that's really good that homeopathy was able to give that. Yes, exactly. Well, I hate to say it, but our our time is up here, Dr. Anna. I it's, it's been such a pleasure talking with you talking about homeopathy, hearing your healing journey. Tell everybody again uh, about your website. Oh, yeah, yeah. So healthy roots, R-O-O-T-S clinic.com. And if you go to the teaching tab, there's about four or five classes there mm-hmm. that you can see. And then my my emails at the bottom of that website if you want to get a hold of me. 
Um, yeah. And you're taking a few cases, limited cases, because yeah, you're limited busy, um, cases. Yeah. Um, baby comes first, and yeah. which I applaud you for that. But thank you for providing all those resources. And um, I'll I'll have to bring you back in so you can continue to educate and inspire on this journey. And I'm yeah. I'm gonna I I just had no idea you could use homeopathy for plants. It never even occurred to me. So I'm really excited about this. Um, and maybe we can figure out a spray when the ladybugs come to like nest on our house over the winter and just invest. If I could just use a little homeopathy to make them go nest elsewhere. If you think of something, let me know. (laughs) I will. I'll look it up in my book. I really will. I'll see if there's a ladybug remedy. (laughs) Okay. I don't want to hurt them. I just wanted to go somewhere else. (laughs) Thank you so much, Bernadette, for having me. Thank you, Dr. Anna. Until next time. Okay, bye. And that is the wonderful Dr. Anna. Isn't she delightful, intelligent, got this healing maternal quality to her. Uh, My first guest, Melissa, and then also Dr. Anna, they're both individuals who really want to heal and empower individuals to heal, give them the tools they need to make various choices in their life to bring about real healing. Um, It's just such an honor to know them and so many of the other great healers that are out there. And I feel like their time has come. This is part of that revolution in, in health and medicine that we are seeing is these individuals coming forward and, and really providing what we need. Uh, I looked up one of the things I had um, I wanted to talk about that I'd mentioned in my interview with, uh, with Dr. Anna is uh, Cuba, I knew had used it. So I found a great article. I encourage you to look for it. I'll, and we'll post it um, in show notes uh, that we keep on the radio show tab on or actually in, in news and views is where it'll show up in our next news and views. Anyway, um, the Weston Price Foundation, Weston, WestonAPrice.org. WestonAPrice.org. Go there and look up the history of homeopathy. There's a great article by Scylla Watcott. Is I'm, I'm sure I apologize if I'm mangling her beautiful name. It's probably very elegant to um, if it's said correctly. And I know that she's one of those leading voices. I've seen her name in print many times. Leading voices in homeopathy. And she's got this great article here with the history of how it was used. Look, I'm looking at this one particular chart. It's very exciting. 1799, it was used for scarlet fever. Fever. Um, in the 1830s in Russia, it was used for cholera. And they recorded uh, mortality when they used homeopathy it was 11%. Now that sounds very high, but but during this time period, mortality for cholera, if you didn't use it, if you used allopathic methods, was 63%. So it was way better um, than, uh, than the tradition, the allopathic approach to healing. So I wanted to read to you a little bit here about the U.S. homeopathy. Homeopathy found its way to the U.S. in the early 1800s as physicians immigrated from Europe. The public embraced it as a safe and gentle form of medicine in direct contrast to methods of the day, such as bloodletting, purging, and the widespread use of mercury, arsenic, and lead. 
it, it is kind of crazy, isn't it? When we think about now, this is me not quoting in the article anymore, but just speaking um, how how these poisons were used in full form in, in big doses in allopathic medicine. But in, in homeopathic medicine, they are used safely and they provide healing for the very things that in full dose they cause. It's still very concerning to me and absolutely absurd that mercury is still using dental amalgams. Why is any dentist putting mercury in somebody's mouth? It doesn't make sense to me. It causes all kinds of harm. It has to be labeled, you know, something that's very toxic waste and Anyway, so there we are. So I'm going to continue reading a little bit more about homeopathy in the early 1800s. It says many physicians at the time were apprentice trained and were able to become a doctor with the equivalent of a high school education at that time. But in, um, in comparison, in the early 1800s, homeopaths were highly educated. I know that there were a lot of universities and you had to, you know, you had to do full courses and really know a lot about all aspects of, um, of medicine and anatomy, physiology, chemistry, all of that uh, was important to know before you even began practicing medicine. Uh, it was used successfully with polio. In 1950, a polio outbreak was met by the closing of public facilities, social distancing, and the use of menacing chemicals such as DDT, all of which failed to eradicate the presumed virus. In 1953, Dr. Morton Biskin tried largely unsuccessfully to draw attention to what he viewed as a more logical explanation for polio epidemics. And, and that was the DDT. I'm going to kind of go shorthand here. There's a great book by author Forrest Maridi called The Moth and the Iron Lung, a biography of polio. I encourage you to read that, especially since we're hearing that polio um, is in the news with it being found in New York uh, sewage. Um, so, you know, The Moth in the Iron Lung, A Biography of Polio by Forrest Maridi. I do encourage you to read that. I'm going to skim down to get to the thing about Cuba. Cuba provides a powerful modern example of a setting where homeoprophylaxis has flourished. The country's Finley Institute, is, um, which is dedicated to vaccine research and development, has even utilized homeopathy within its Department of Natural Remedies. Because the government distributes medicines to the population, homeoprophylaxis has been easy to implement as well as cost efficient and highly effective. Between 2004 and the present, trials carried out in Cuba for cholera dengue fever, swine flu, pneumonia, hepatitis A, leptospirosis, and the current coronavirus have produced stunning effects showing disease prevention rates between 85% and 97%. And there's, um, there's a little graph here and a citation, which I will go down the rabbit hole and go read those citations. I wanna uh, learn more about that. That's very exciting to think. Um, let's see how we're doing on time. It looks like we're almost up on time. I'm going to read this very last paragraph in this great article at the Weston Price uh, Foundation. It says, if we stop for a moment and consider the benefits of homeopathy, its track record in epidemics, well, we've got another mode of healing and the music is saying that it's time to go. 
Um, so thank you everyone for listening to and Inform Life Radio and Eleven Fifty and KKNWNCHDTV. We will be back next week. Y'all take care. If you're looking for a publication that delivers honest takes and critical insights into the issues of our day, then look no further than the Flame Paper. The Flame Paper is written for the people by the people who aren't afraid to challenge a mainstream narrative, be it healthcare, voter fraud, political correctness, or even the one world government. The Flame is full of timely articles, reports, and expert advice written by freedom-loving, truth-telling experts, journalists, and concerned citizens. To subscribe, go to theflameusa.com. Hi, I'm Lynn Redwood, president of the nonprofit Children's Health Defense. Our chairman, Robert F. Kennedy Jr., and our entire team are devoted to ending the epidemic of illnesses and disorders plaguing our children today. Through legal action, we're working to hold industries and government agencies accountable and to establish safeguards to prevent further harm. We're working overtime during this COVID-19 crisis to keep you informed about the politics and science of rush vaccine candidates. Freedom and our children's futures have never been more in jeopardy. But we can succeed. With your help, we can stop the devastation and give our children and grandchildren the healthy future they deserve. To learn more about what we're doing and how you can help, visit childrenshealthdefense.org and sign up for our free news. Please visit childrenshealthdefense.org today. Are you suffering from a sinking feeling that the COVID-19 pandemic is being blown out of proportion and that nothing in the news is making any sense? If so, then there is a fact-based, science-driven news show designed just for you. My name is Del Bigtree, and I am the host of The High Wire, the world's most trusted news source in digital media when it comes to accurate, science-based reporting on the COVID-19 pandemic. From COVID-19 vaccine development to mask mandates, school shutdowns to job layoffs, The High Wire goes beyond providing you with the most accurate, evidence-based investigations. We send you links to the sources for all of our reporting so that you can further your own investigation and come to your own informed conclusions. High above the agenda-driven circus of mainstream media, we do not run. We do not hide from the truth. Instead, we walk the high wire. If you care about truth, then join us on Instagram, Twitter, Roku, and our website, thehighwire.com.